It's time to put on a stack of 45s. We're going to dance a night away. We're going to jive. It's Bill Nesnick and Rich Buckland, the Splendid Bohemians, and we're here to present another 45 RPM record of note by an artist of note. And in this particular case, it's a mournful note that we must uh, begin on because of the recent passing of Mr. Mike Nesmith. Uh, A singular presence in... uh contemporary pop music. And for those who have not kept up with the uh, nature of popular music and the diversity within, they might forget the, uh, the career that he had, which was pretty majestic given the fact that this all began as a fabricated band attempting to simulate uh, Beatlemania and did it successfully when you take a good hard look as I have. Well, I saw a factoid that said in 1967, the monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Stones combined. And that's not surprising because you take a listen to these records. And here's a question I have for you. So if you were to take Daydream Believer, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Last Train to Clarksville, if the Beatles had recorded these songs as opposed to the Monkees, would they today be considered and heralded as classics in the realm of popular music? Possibly. Can you hear it? I mean, I was just listening to um, um, Beatles, I think it was Beatles 65, and I'm I'm kind of marveling at um, I'm a Loser, Uh, you know, songs like I'm a Loser. Paul, I mean, John was was mining very personal areas even then. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess... Pleasant Valley Sunday was written by the um, uh, Goffin and King. Uh, was a uh, sort of incisive uh, indictment of suburban consumption. Well, I think that the Monkees program was the hippest program on television in 1965. It only lasted for two years. You have Mike Nesmith, Peter Tork, Mickey Dolenz, uh Davy Jones. And, of course, Davy Jones and Davy and... The Artful Dodger. The Artful Dodger. So you have Davy and Mickey, both uh, were childhood performers. So it was entertainers. Circus Boy. Circus Boy, Mickey Dolenz. So these are, these are experienced entertainers already. The auditions, for those who've seen the audition tapes, are remarkable. Mike, let me ask you something. Seriously. Why do you do this kind of business? What's that? Play the music. Well, I mean, you get to why it? do they call that a light? I don't know. That's just where it's at. Well, how'd you get to it? How long ago? About two years. You just came to it two years ago? Mm-hmm. What What before then? I was a failure. Yeah, but did you work at that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just didn't do anything. I was a failure. Um, do you think you're a goof? Do you? No. Well, see, it depends on what do you think. Why do you think you're a goof? Yeah. No. Well, okay, see, then that's where it's at. If you think I'm a goof, man, I'm a goof. You know, what I think is what I am. I, I don't think I'm a goof. I don't think you're a goof. Right. Okay. I think I'm out of work. <laughs> I hope I get this serious. <laughs> 
they perfectly selected these four individuals, but they didn't have any idea what they might be able to contribute down the line, and of course, what their true professional fancies might be. Uh, Would anyone have suspected that 56 years after that program aired, Mickey and Mike would have made their last appearance at the Greek Theater in L.A. only three weeks ago with Mike passing away two days ago? A lot of people would not, but you had the prescience and the presence of mind to know this way back. When did you first acquire your archive of monkeys? Uh, outtakes and such. I recognized firstly that the people involved with the program and with the motion picture head were not your usual um, uh, bag of of executive idiots. There were, this was a compound of producers, songwriters, movie stars, Bob Rafelson, Jack Nicholson, uh, Bruce Dern, uh, Frank Zappa, Nesmith was the most knowledgeable because he was... Yeah, Mickey Dolan's in his uh, obituary or his memorial statement referred to Mike as the leader, the, the, the spiritual and aesthetic leader of the group. He was the John Lennon of the, of the monkeys, if you're going mm-hmm. to put it in, in that type of a context, which I guess would leave for non-writers Mickey more like... Paul, although Mickey was as funny as John, if one considered John actually funny. Um, <laughs> watching Get Back, I'm, I'm having second guesses about just how intelligent the humor well, was. But that's another story for another well, time. The monkeys were crafted, and the design was for them to take the elements that the Beatles provided and be able to structure it, although they went off script quite frequently, the monkeys were designed to be the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, Abbott and Costello, and the Beatles. As chairwoman of the reception committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? I've sponsored your appointment because I feel you are the most able statesman in all Fredonia. Well, that covers a lot of ground. Say, you cover a lot of ground yourself. You better beat it. I hear they're going to tear you down and put up an office building where you're standing. But there was always this tension uh, within Mike because this guy was a real songwriter. In 1964, he wrote Different Drum. Well, you and I travel to the beat of a different drum. Can't you tell by the way I'm wrong every time you make eyes at me? which was then recorded originally by the Greenbrier Boys in 1966. And he wanted to do it on the show. The producers refused. He ended up giving it to Linda Ronstadt, who made a huge hit launching her own career, number 13 on the Billboard chart. And he said that she infused it with a new kind of new level of passion. But um, he eventually had to go to court against uh, Don Kirshner, one of the producers, to try and get creative control so that they could create their own music, play and write their own music. Well, this was so, this was so 
meticulously developed with so much energy and money spent on talents that they recognized the monkeys could not exceed. So when you have a songwriting team that's comprised of Carol Bear Sager, Bobby Bloom, Jeff Barry, Jerry Goffin, Andy Kim, Lieber and Stoller, Paul Williams, even Jack Nicholson wrote two songs that made... And it. Neil Diamond. Don't forget Neil well, Diamond. Well, of course, Neil Diamond, and of course, uh, Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. I'm giving you almost... These are. This is all A-list. These are all A-list yeah, this is the wrecking crew of songwriters. Wheel and Man, John Stewart, Michael Martin Murphy, Paul Williams. So, of course you figure that this one guy is not going to exceed all of the talents, particularly when he only wrote one song that actually, as a monkey, made the top 40. And that song was called The Girl I Knew Somewhere. You tell me that you've never been this way before. You tell me things I know that I've heard somewhere. Standing in the places and you're staring down the faces that bring to mind traces of a girl, a girl that I knew somewhere. Made number 39 on the Billboard charts. So right. Mike so only he, wrote you know, one. I mean, this was the tension that was created by him having to perform as a, an actual monkey. And signing on, knowing exactly what you're getting into, but thinking well, you're going... Are, do we ever really know what we're signing? Well, they know they knew they couldn't play. They know they weren't they the were Beatles. Young, they were young guys, and they, they wanted a job. They wanted a gig. Exactly. And they got a gig, and who knew it was going to be the gig to end all gigs? Well, what they didn't recognize is that our culture has a way of turning the mediocre into heroic figures. And prior to, if you take a look at all the auditions, take a look at all of the kids on the street, I have to tell you, the one who has to look at audition tapes constantly, and take a look at kids that you must think to yourself, got a shot. But in this day and age, it's not the same kind of shot did they do the thing? Did they still do today what they did back then? Did they put ads in the paper, looking for? Uh, yes, they, yes do. they do. Okay, they do. we have. Well, you know, now they, there's websites, but yes, there's casting websites that put out casting calls every day. Okay, but you have to be. You can't just pick up the uh, underground L.A. paper. Or the village voice. Generally not, although, you know, there are examples where um, people are putting out um, want ads on Craigslist, um, which are not the industry standard. Yeah, I bet. People get gigs from that. Um, There's all kinds of, you know, websites that, that hook people up. But you're right. I mean, it's not it's not the uh, the but I guess there still are these Bernie Chalpin and 
and Elton Johns that find each other through uh, newspaper ads and, and end up as, you know, historical figures. Now, Mike also had this love-hate relationship, evidently, with the monkiness of it all. The 20th yes. anniversary he didn't show up for. He picked and chose uh, with the determined, I think he based it on what was going to benefit his solo career. Yeah, and, but I think after Davy Jones's death, uh, he became a little bit more um, fond and nostalgic about uh, the thing that he had lived through. And then and he the, the last the last ten years of his life, I think he was more positively uh, disposed. Well, he had triple bypass surgery, and. Um, Ultimately, although it is stated he died of natural causes, you have to wonder if he did those final shows, if it wasn't too much, as uh, it was too much for Tom Petty to, uh, to do those final shows. I believe Tom Petty was also the final, his final show was at the Greek Theater as well, was it not? Hollywood Bowl. The Hollywood Bowl. Um, everybody goes to Hollywood to... Uh, to give their uh, <laughs> Hollywood to, forever their curtain call, yeah, the big the big curtain call. But the, I guess the thing that intrigued me later on was a year after he finishes his contractual obligation with the Monkees and records a Kool Aid commercial, and then moves on to a band of his own. The name of that band, my friend. The First National the Band. First National Band. And as someone who had always adored country music and country radio had not even really come into the full equation yet, here comes a record called Joanne. And that's 1970. 1970. On the, um, uh, which RCA label? RCA Victor. The B-side was One Rose. One Rose. It was part of the album Magnetic South. So what we wish to feature as our 45 today is Joanne, which when you listen to the vocal and you listen to how beautifully crafted this piece oh, is. Oh, that yodel, that yodel is spine tingling. And you do not, you understand that you had a stellar talent mixed in within the fabrication of this act that had to teach themselves how to play before they could tour Japan. That's insanity, is it not? Yeah, that's crazy. But he he loved country music. He always was trying to move in that direction. And there's a quote that I found where he said that he was heartbroken over the success of the Eagles. He felt that Kirshner and, and the Monkees was holding him back. And, um, you know, as you pointed out, well, after having done that, he could never go from being a monkey to an eagle. And do you think that there was some true uh, I, I, jealousy and envy would not be the appropriate terms, but do you believe no, that No, I don't he, think it was. I, no, I don't think it was that. I think it was a, a kind of a despair, maybe, over the lack of uh, culmination of what he 
felt was his inner, you know, purpose? I don't believe that ultimately, given the output, and I've got an entire list of all of his work, he was not going to be able to compete with the uh, with the songwriting skills of 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 a Don Henley. He was not going to be able to compete with the or the vocal skills. Um, the end of the innocence. You listen to the end of the innocence, and you've entered. Uh, a portal that had not been heard in pop or country prior with a messaging that was so divide, divine and devout in its intelligence that... So we're not here to disparage Mike Nesbitt. No, there's no disparaging. In, in, uh, in, who's in the, comparison to Don no, I'm stating that I had heard multiple times that he felt he should have been an eagle as opposed to a monkey, and yeah. that the what he signed as a youth uh, were errors that could not be corrected through the adult courts that would then steer him toward a career as uh, what what do you say about the eagles but the only uh, the only greatest this, this, hit not only. He not only a musician, but he was a polymath in terms of like uh, he became a film producer. He, he he credits himself with being the originator of MTV when he did a a video in 1977 of a song called Rio. Um, you know he and then later he he produced several movies. Elephant Parts is as uh, I, I think is actually a better film as well as head than uh, Frank Zappa's 200 motels. And that's saying a lot. 200 motels is held to a certain standard. I think elephant parts is superior in its creative uh, elements. Uh, if you, depending upon who you talk to, the self-promotion that many artists have and they need to live by and stand by, I cannot blame Mike Nesmith for wanting to, perceive the idea that he created MTV, but he did not create MTV. He did not create... No, it couldn't, it could, one. one man couldn't have done that. No, of course not. So let's be, let's be serious. In 1980, he was putting tags on the furniture, getting ready for the tax man to come and take everything away from him. And then he has the misfortune which becomes the good fortune of his mom passing away and leaving the whiteout fortune to him. Money is no longer a problem for Mike Nesmith. That could have been the blessing or it could have been the curse. When you yeah. no longer have to strive to make your living at the is same... Is whiteout the same as liquid paper? Because I think liquid paper is the... Uh... I think most people refer to it as whiteout. It was probably liquid paper that she invented, Yes. Yeah, liquid paper is, is yeah. the name of it. Well, whatever the hell it is, I think it was the same chemical component. It was used in Whiteout. Um, yeah, Whiteout may, may have been a different uh, company. Co company, but I'm not sure. what, this, this, this woman made a hell of a lot of money uh, yeah. creating something that um, has today is, is, is unnecessary. Yeah, and I heard the story when he was being interviewed, I think, on um, 
Gilbert and Frank, maybe, was, uh, he was talking about how his mother was a secretary, you know, in order to um, help other secretaries out, kind of invented this formula, and then got somebody to help her, you know, uh, market it. Yeah, she was pretty brilliant. She was, she was brilliant. I think Mike, in his own way, did not inherit the business skill that, is, <laughs> that his mom had. Uh, to be, Maybe not the business skill, but certainly the uh, the ability to invent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But there's a reason you wind up going full circle from 1965 to 2021 on stage with the remaining partner in crime. From what got you the original recognition you received? whether he did that out of friendship for Mickey Dolenz uh, with a bum ticker and or decided that he knew that his time was coming and this is how he wanted to go out. And that's what I would like to believe, um, that every great... Yeah, I mean, I liken it in my personal experience to uh, uh, my, uh, <clears throat> my gig in Oak Calcutta, which I kept off my resume for many years, and now I'm, I'm proud of it. Hey, look at that body. <laughs> You had a nice butt. <laughs> very few, very few remember that you, that you, Bill Mesnick, were a part of 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 Broadway history. Yes, you yes. were a part um, of yes. Old Calcutta. I, I have to take a certain pride in it now. And just for those who may not remember, Old Calcutta was performed in the Buff. Parts of it. Parts of it, not all of it, That's but right. parts of it. But hair, wasn't that also partly? Hair preceded Ocalcutta, yeah. Preceded, and there was nakedness. <laughs> and everybody got naked at the end, and Ocalcutta did the same thing. Did the same we thing. We all had robes. Right. And we all got in a circle and did a salute to the sun and dropped our robes. You were ahead of your time, Bill. You were ahead of your time. You know, I was of my time. You were, that's <laughs> very correct. You were of your time. <laughs> I guess we're all of our time. Some of us... Take it, can take advantage of it with a, with a little more. And some things just, they come and they go. And, they, you know, unless you're going to go into porn, there's very little you can do with nakedness. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. And, well, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me now. Well, that's not true. I mean, I <laughs> guess I have no pride left. So, yeah, you could pay me to be naked. Okay, here's a question. Mike would appreciate this question. What is the greatest performance you have ever seen on film by someone who is naked? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was Brando in uh, Last Tango. Very good. Was he naked? To my knowledge, and that's what flashes into he my head well originally. He may have well have. He might as well have been. I believe that there was. Uh, that that was Bertolucci, and there was uh, an yes. X version and an R version, and it uh-huh. it sits in my memory because. Uh, I was working with the checkmates in Los Angeles when that came out, and my father came down to visit and said, Rich, come on, we're going to the movies. I said, what, what, are we, what do you see? He says, uh, I got to see Last Tango. <laughs> so the two of us God went bless him. at the Wilshire Theater, at the Wilshire Theater. Yes, that's where I... So you went to Last Tango with, with your dad? With my dad, yes. But this was, the, the, these were the movies that they took me to 
ever since I can remember. My mother took me to see I Want to Live with Susan Hayward when when I was like 10 years old. Um, uh, yeah. My grandfather took me to see Peter Pan, and uh, I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Same with well, to go full To go, go full circle to the monkeys, my uncle took me to see Oliver, and I saw Davy Jones. Oh, Broadway. you did? You did? Okay. Yes. Okay. And Davy, by the way, I did, uh, he had a studio here in Florida, and it was his last professional um, enclave. And... Um, you had an occasion to meet him? Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how some people are exactly like you would anticipate they're going to be, and others are such major disappointments. And Davy fits the category of being exactly the endearing, charming. It, it's as if he was a, an, an eternal child. Yeah, I, I can believe that. Yeah, and to have passed away from, you know, having had a heart attack myself, um, you know, it, it's 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 a terrible thing, and it was sudden, and uh, he wasn't in any ill health. But um, mm. my my appreciation of Mike is also dynamic in that it was his push with Jack Nicholson that allowed Tim Buckley to perform on that final episode of The Monkees. Amazing, and to have had Frank Zappa. As a guest, Liberace, uh, breaking instruments. It was funny. It was funny. It was. Yeah, I mean, I guess it must have been interesting for adults as well as, you know, us teeny bop. I would, I would have thought, and I'm trying to remember, if my folks, because you always gauged if. You were annoying them by the sounds coming from your room. Turn that down. And I used to listen to everything very loud, especially musical programs. I can't remember them having any thoughts on the monkeys. The Beatles, they loved. Mm. My father brought me back, meet the Beatles, after he went to a business trip in Chicago. And I had never even seen the album before. He said, oh, somebody just told me about this. So he brought me, he brought that to me. Um... But I think that you're right. There was an adult sensibility to it. If you appreciated slapstick, if you appreciated vaudeville, there would there are so many components of old time show business. Yeah, it was very hip. Yeah, very hip. Yeah, show. and it took the past and the present and it meshed them together with this incredible assortment of talent that. Uh, Put together for one reason. We are going to replicate Beatlemania in the United States with an American band, whether they can play or not. And I think that the entire entrepreneurism uh, of it is so dynamic. And without Mike Nesmith, it could never have been the success that it was because it was Mike's writing and history and keeping he wasn't the guy going on the Happy Together tours with Howard Kalin and Rob Volman. 
Right. That's Mickey Dole. He was staying away from that. He had integrity. Yeah, he, he was trying. Not that, not that making a living means you don't have integrity. So I don't think that the remaining Buckinghams or Mark Lindsay. Well, perhaps the, the fact that he had the liquid paper fortune allowed him yes. to have this particular uh, integrity and put some try to put some distance between him and, and Monkey. And I don't know. Maybe you're implying that one of the reasons he was doing those those tours at the end was that he needed the money. I don't know. Well, I don't know either. I, I, you, I, I, I don't know. And my, what I would like to believe is he wanted to be with his uh, partner in crime at the very end. Yeah, on a I think so. On a I, mean, stage, I, I want to believe that too. Yeah, performing those songs once again, even though they sounded nothing. There, there was no harmony. There's, they could, they really could barely you know. Well, shall we play Joanne? Now let's go back to the youth. Joanne. Her name was Joanne and she lived in a meadow by Touched me for a moment with a look that spoke to me of her sweet love. Then the woman that she was drove her on with desperation, and I saw as she went a most hopeless situation for Joanne and the man. only a girl I know that well but still I could not see that the hold that she had was much stronger than the love she felt for me Most 
most hopeless situation for Joanne and the man and the time that made them both run for Joanne and the man and the time that made them both run yeah you see when you see the problem with being a human being is that it takes a great deal and it takes a very special person to maintain that uh, artistic integrity up until uh, in the late stages. So who has been able to do that? Other than Tony Bennett, who of course is the king, he does it not even knowing he's doing it. Did you see? Well, I think Neil Young. I haven't seen Neil lately, so I can't... Neil Young has a new album out. I just heard it on the radio this morning called Barn Mm -hmm. that he uh, recorded in a barn in in Canada with Crazy Horse. And how old is Neil? Um, Neil's, you know, got to be pushing 80. You think he's that old? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we forget that a lot of these cats were about... A decade older than we were when we were listening to them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, look at James Brown. First time I saw James Brown, I didn't know he was 33 already. Um, so the monkeys, the monkeys, and an integral part of uh, my childhood in that I was one of those fans who saw many different things in it and am very grateful for its creation and for those recordings, and I've been listening to them diligently uh, as of late, as I'm sure many people have been. And these, although Mike said the idea was not to recreate Beatle records, they recreated Beatle records. Some of these arrangements and vocals are just as good in some cases as some of the Beatles' uh, efforts. And I'm talking about yes, efforts. and 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 to promote your uh, your uh, what you your cash, what um, what uh, do you have anything on that that's available from Splendor of Bohemia? Well, we've got the the monkeys outtakes, but the, the the thing I want to I want to really promote is is yours for free. It's a Mike Nesmith performance from 1992 that has never been released. And that's our Christmas gift to you um, on Dig This. So when you go to the Dig This site, just put in Mike Nesmith in the search bar and listen to this 70-minute performance from 1992. You get a great idea of uh, why he was a, uh, a, a singular performer and artist in his own right. Uh, cool. So uh, this is, you know, this is, this is Christmas. Let's, let's, let's give some things away if we can. Let's pay it forward. Nice. Let us pay it forward as Mike paid it forward in uh, leaving me quite teary and uh, mournful in recognizing that our, as my brother texted me, another piece of my youth has now vanished and I feel, I feel the loss. Yes, well, well said. 
Yeah. Well said. By the way, Neil Young is 76. Yeah, I didn't think he was 80 yet. So, uh, yeah. boy, so. Pushing 80. I say anything past 75, you're pushing 80. But, uh, you know, that. listen, now now that each minute is precious, I'll, uh, I'll hold off on that. Each minute is precious. So each... you're still 69 for at least a month, three weeks. If I survive Christmas, I have to survive Christmas first. Hey, I've got a I've got a Christmas song. Um, I'm gonna that I wrote many years ago. I'll send it to you, and you can post it. Can I get a title? It's called "It's Christmas Time." Okay, all right. Is this this is this is uh, uh, this is new to me? Yes, you, I, I don't think I, I I ever told you about. You it. have gonna, never. I'll send it. I'll send it to you. You have never told me about your Christmas song. No. No. My favorite. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'll just I'll just send it to you. What is the Christmas song Michael Penn wrote that ends a Paul Thomas Anderson film? Was it Heartache or Magnolia? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, that's my favorite. That and Fairy Tale from of New York. Uh, oh boy, the Pogues. Those are. That's. Um, it's a far cry from a chestnut roasting on an open fire. But uh, we are what we eat, my friend. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> right? Tiny Good Tim. Good Mr. Calabash. Did Tiny Tim ever write a Christmas song? I'm sure he sang many of them. No, he didn't write much. Oh, and there's a new, this year's big Christmas album is Elton John and Ed Sheeran. They have gotten together for a Christmas album. (laughs) But for all my Christmas friends, in memory of Mike Nesmith this year, instead of putting on the Phil Spector Christmas album, put on the Dean Martin Christmas album. And uh, that should do it for Bill Nesnick in California, Rich Buckland in Florida. We thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Put on a Stack of 45s. We love you. When the snow comes to cover the ground, it's time for play. It's a whipped cream day. I wait for it to hold you around.